welcome to another episode of the Far Post podcast. My name's Marissa Lordanik. I'm joined by my three best friends in WOSO. We've got Sam Lewis, Angela Christian Wilkes and Anna Harrington. Let's crack into it. Uh, we'll start with you love to see it because that's what we start off with. So Sam, what did you love to see this week? This week, I loved to see some Americans doing some good old-fashioned American goal scoring. I loved Tobin Heath's two goals against Bristol City, even though it didn't turn out particularly well for our Aussies. Uh, Two absolute crackers. The first, this just amazing first-time left-footed strike that sort of curled in and over the goalkeeper. And the second one was a a dinky little chip followed uh, that that followed a very nice little nutmeg um so Tobin Heath has been awesome uh we'll probably get a little bit uh into her in terms of team of the year chat a little bit later in the episode but yeah I mean Tobin Heath being awesome you love to see it um hashtag spoilers for the rest of the episode far out anyway Harry what did you love to see this weekend uh I love to see well, it was a moment of brilliance, but maybe not for the reasons Lisa Evans was hoping. Uh, the Arsenal fullback went to take a throw in against Everton uh, in their game, and she's tried to, well, she has successfully flicked it up with her feet into one hand, but unfortunately for poor old Lisa Evans, when she's done it, she's not properly caught it with one hand. She's instead just dropped it. And not only she dropped it, she's knocked it over the advertising board. And you just see her turn to her teammate and it was just like being at park football. For fuck's sake. What about <laughs> Like everyone's seen this and then uh, it's, it's, had, it's been mentioned to her on Twitter afterwards and I think very sheepish after that. So uh, we'll definitely post the video of that on Twitter. But, yeah, Lisa Evans getting a little bit too smart with a ball pickup technique and getting really embarrassed about it. You love to see it. Everyone loves to see it except for Lisa Evans. And Angela, what did you love to see this week? I love to see Hayley Rasso getting back to doing Hayley Rasso things. Um, She assisted Lucy Graham's goal in Everton's 1-0 win um, over Manchester United in the F-A-W-S-L Conti Cup. Did I get all the words right? game um and yeah so it was just a a, a cut a, you know a, a zoomy and then a cut back and then the goal you know all the elements so you love to see that and you love to see um Everton get the win there as well after a, a pretty rough trot in the FAWSL um season so far you love absolutely. to see it. <laughs> yeah absolutely do love to see it I also love to see going back to the Arsenal game Beth Mead's goal it was a a long ball out from defense uh Beth's running with a defender and just the the real brains on her to take the first touch that completely sells the defender some candy and then the most beautiful curved shot past Sandy McKeever in the Everton goal it was an absolute stunner so we'll give that one a retweet as well but I absolutely loved to see it so um We'll, we'll, there's not a lot of FAWSL chat because there wasn't a lot of FAWSL games. We had uh, half the games postponed for a variety of reasons. So uh, Birmingham Man City was postponed due to a waterlogged pitch and then uh, Chelsea Spurs and West Ham Aston Villa were both called off or postponed due to the coronavirus. So we only had three games 
this weekend. It's kind of comical if it wasn't, you know, uh, because of a deadly virus for the most part, but that's that's not the point there. Um, we we had uh, Manchester United get the win. We had Arsenal get the win as well, and Reading got up against Brighton. So not much match chat from us this week. We've instead decided that it's been a uh, award season, basically. So we're gonna crack into that chat. We had an email from one of our listeners named Alex. So shout out to Alex. Why did I wave? He can't see that. He can't see that. Um, but yes, shout out to Alex. They emailed us and this was at the start of December. So sorry, I didn't get back to you sooner, but they emailed us and sent us uh, Susie Rack at the Guardian's uh, team of the season so far for the FAWSL. And they asked if the Far Post had some team of the season so far takes. And, oh, boy, did we have some takes. So after a lot of deliberating and going around in circles and scratching our heads and consulting the stats, we've finally come up with a team. So our ground rules were it needs to be a functional team. We've gone with a 4-3-3 formation and four on the bench. So. We're now going to, I suppose, talk through our decisions and then if you have issues with it, don't talk to us because it took us a really long time to figure this out. So, anyway, <laughs> we'll crack into <laughs> the Far Post's team of the season so far. So, Harrow, I believe you were going to start us off with the goalkeepers or the goalkeeper. Yeah, Marissa, to follow on from you, and if people don't like our team, they can make their own. It's very agonising and it's not very fun. No, it's a lot of fun, but we just, uh, yeah, put a lot of thought into this and, of course, included our own biases. So if you call us out, we don't care. (laughs) Uh, We'll kick off with uh, goalkeepers. Obviously, there's no shortage of quality goalkeepers in the FAWSL. Um, There's Ellie Robart, Mary Earps, Sandy McKeever's been uh, really, really exciting and up and coming for Everton. Um, as Aussies, we obviously have our own Mackenzie Arnold um, playing in the FAWSL. But after our consultation, we had to we did settle collectively on Anka Trimberger, the Chelsea goalkeeper. We know that Chelsea have a fantastic defence, but goalkeepers are really the glue that helps hold things together. Her leadership, she comes off her line at the right time. She's made some great saves. And to be honest, it was hard to split some of these goalkeepers, but um, we were pretty much unanimous on this one. And Katrin Berger is our goalkeeper. Throw over to Angela for the defenders. Yeah. Um, and I guess we've talked about this a little bit on the pod before, but perhaps the thing that separates the the really good teams and and the good teams in this FAWSL season is the defense. Obviously goalkeepers come into that. Um, And I'm just going to throw all of that away by putting Katie McCabe as our left back, but she has had a fantastic season so far. She's a solid defender and she also has the most assists of any player in the league. She's got, she's got speed, she's got skills. So loving what she's doing. Um, but going back again to having a solid defence, yada, yada, we turn to um, Manchester United's Millie Turner, who has just been, I don't, don't want to, the word isn't bloodthirsty. What's the word when you're just like determined? 
Determined. De- determined. <laughs> Resilient. Like vocabulary <laughs> lessons. <laughs> but yeah, um, it's pretty difficult to pick between her and Amy Turner. But you know, she just got there a smidgen on top, and next to her in our team, um, as centre back as well is Ericsson. Going back to strong defences, um, Magda Eriksson, captain for Chelsea, just just so strong, such a great leader, um, really great positional awareness and just doesn't really let anything pass her. And next to her, I, you would suspect I would put Lucy Bronze here, but I've got the sulks with Lucy. I'm going to be real. I think she's had a, made some some pretty bad decisions at certain points this season so far. And while I still think she's a fantastic player, I'm popping Mielda, Mara Mielda, um, the Norwegian right back um, as our right back, obviously. Also, a big thing with Mielda, she can score a pen and you've got to have a really good penalty taker um, in, in a quality team, in my opinion. You don't want anyone fluffing those and if she goes up for a pen, you know she's going to get it. Um, as Australians will know all too well. <laughs> Moving on, <laughs> Sam, midfielders. <laughs> so, okay, midfielders was so difficult. I think we had a solid hour's worth of sit-down conversation about this. And when it comes to selecting the sort of the three midfielders for a team like this, I think a lot of people, including myself, expected us to be able to pick a solid six, a solid eight, and a solid ten. But what has ended up happening is that our choices reflect more the role that these players have played and the influence that they have had in their teams more generally. So the first of our three midfielders is Sam Mewis, who was just voted the US Women's National Team Player of the Year. She's been an outstanding force for Manchester City since she arrived. Um, even though perhaps she is not racking up the stats, it's pretty clear that she is a player that this team is starting to gravitate around and she seems to always make the best decision. No matter what situation she's in, she very, very rarely fucks up Um, and she's just a powerhouse. She's just an amazing player to watch on the field. So Mewis gets our first midfield spot. The second midfield spot goes to Jackie Gronin from Manchester United. Again, for a similar reason to Sam Mewis, she has been the motor of that Manchester United side alongside Ella Toon. Um, but Jackie Grodin, I think we've all agreed, just has a little bit more uh, finesse, a little bit more quality and a little bit more bite to her. So Jackie Grodin goes in there for the second spot. And the third spot, we deliberated and deliberated over this, but we finally settled on Izzy Christensen from Everton. Again, very similar reason. She has been the heartbeat of that Everton side, particularly in their really excellent uh, start to this campaign. Um, She is also starting to rack up the stats as well. I believe that she is uh, equal uh, fourth, perhaps fourth, fifth in terms of the number of assists that she's had. She never really seems to slip up. She's always an excellent leader in that midfield area and people just seem to gravitate around her as well. So Izzy Christensen gets our third spot. So in effect, we have uh, three, I guess, number eights in midfield. Um, but all three of them, I would like to think if they were out on the pitch together, they offer uh, the kinds of things in a six and a ten position that more traditional players in those roles could. So, yeah, that's our midfield three. Um, and now we throw back to Harrow for the forwards. Which was the easiest of the discussions for us. 
for all the time we spent deliberating the midfield, I think we settled on the forwards pretty quickly. Um, a note to this is if we were line ball on any players, we will always, we're an Australian women's football podcast, so we will go with the Australian. I actually don't think these were too line ball. Um, so obviously we had a front three um, on the left wing, Caitlin Ford. Um, Ford has just been an absolute revelation for Arsenal. You look at the stats and she has scored six goals to go with that. She's provided five assists. She is influential. She adds a point of difference to Joe Montemuro's side. There's been plenty of times where I think she's either helped dig them out of holes or be the spark to help create something a bit different or to, I guess, get them up and going. She's just been absolutely fantastic and I think she was one of the players where when we were looking at our 11, we went, well, she has to fit in and we'd have her on that left wing because she's so good when she cuts inside and can roll onto her foot. But really, as we saw against Everton where they started her as a nine, she can play anywhere in that front three. Uh, in the number nine, you can't go past Viviana Medema, clearly leading the, the golden boot. Uh, four goals ahead of her. She's got 11 so far. That's four goals ahead of the next top scorer who, little spoiler, is also in this team. Um, I mean, she's an irrepressible striker. We know at times she has been, I guess, shut down at times this year, but that just shows the sort of influence that she has. You you know that she can drop deep. You know she can cut in from out wide. And most of all, she just scores goals. So I think that was a pretty easy selection as well. And on the right in our front three is Sam Kerr, who we have talked about on this pod plenty of times of – I guess how underrated she's been, the criticism she's copped. But if you look at the stats, she's second in the golden boot with seven goals. And to be honest, her influence has gone so far beyond that. It's her movement off the ball. It's the little shimmies she can do. The, I guess the little one-twos of players like Fran Kirby. She gets her teammates involved. She does the hard work off the ball. And she is starting to get more and more reward for her work by getting, I guess, some more goals on the scoring sheet. So, uh, yeah. Our front three, Ford, Medema, Kerr. And I think we settled on that very, very quickly. Marissa? The Fords were definitely our um, the least amount of discussion time. And uh, I tell you now, if we had recorded the full deliberation of this uh, team, it would be at least a two-hour-long podcast. So um, it's, it's for your own good listeners that we've condensed it into this tiny little segment. So then on the bench, we had Ellie Roebuck from Manchester City as our second keeper. Again, another player who's been part of a very stingy defence, but we thought Anka Trimberger had just edged her a little bit in those stakes. We had Leah Galton from Man United, who's been absolutely solid and has has been bringing goals to her game as well, which we were all, you know, it was one spectacular goal from the weekend, uh, courtesy of her boot. Uh, in terms of spare midfielders, we've got Emily Van Egmond, partly because she's Australian and we can, but also because she's finally grown into the league and into this West Ham team. Is She's being used in a way that we all know she can and is absolutely killing it, but because it's taken her a little while to get there, we've benched her. Uh, in terms of other strong attacking players, we've uh, finished our bench with our bench with Beth Mead and Frank Kirby. Truthfully, either could have made the starting 11. Their, you know, output in terms of goals, assists, chances created, their top class, 
in every respect. But, you know, in terms of having those two on the bench, you wouldn't turn your nose up at it if you got to bring either of those two on. So we'll we'll figure out some sort of way to make a fancy graphic and you can see the, the full starting 11 and bench in all its glory. And I suppose we, we'll, we'll take criticism, but I don't know if we'll actually take it very well. So No. Uh, no. <laughs> Marissa. <laughs> it's I... starting discussions. Okay. That's fine, but and don't say- every discussion will end with no. We were right. You were wrong. <laughs> Suck on. <the> paper. <laughs> I think it's important to remember we deliberately made a point of not shoehorning players into positions that don't work because there is nothing worse than when you see like a player that's clearly played as a midfielder all season. Just we see it in footy all the time, Marissa in AFL world, just getting slotted into a wing or oh yeah, they can play right back, so we'll put them there. None of that. And we tried to be really disciplined with having a 4-3-3 just because it forced us to keep a structure. Obviously, we know some of these players are playing in, you know, different sorts of midfields or different forward setups or playing with two up top or whatever. But we figured by having some sort of disciplined structure that would force us to actually pick it. And, you know, we, we got there, didn't we? We just about got there. Speaking of, I forgot to mention this when I was doing my word vomit on the defenders, but um, Katie McCabe, like being at left back isn't actually her natural position, which I think makes it all the more impressive, her performance this season as well. Um, And that was not just us pushing her back there because we wanted to include her on the team, but that's genuinely where she's been getting all her minutes. Um, And yeah. We reached the end. We are battered and bruised, but we we're here. We've dragged ourselves bloody exhausted across the line, but we've made it guys. Congratulations. Remember a week ago when I said, we got this fun email. I think it would be fun if we made it <laughs> the season so far. And gen- like genuinely, if, you have, if you've watched any of the games this, this season, sit down, have a think, and you'll realise that us agonising for hours is not actually that much of an exaggeration. It is difficult because, as we all know, the league is absolutely stacked with quality players. So... That is our team of the season so far. We're unfortunately going to have to revisit this at the end of the year and I have a feeling it's going to be even more difficult after a, a full season's worth of uh, games. So that'll be something fun to look forward to. But let's carry on with the award season theme. We had the Guardians Top 100 come out a couple of weeks ago now. We had uh, Peniel Harder topping the list. Sam, you were heavily involved in the creation of this list. So do you want to explain, I suppose, your involvement in it and, I don't know, the kind of wider list as a whole? Yeah. So the Guardian's Top 100 Women Footballers of the Year um, was voted on by a combination of players, coaches and media. Um, from behind the scenes, the process was pretty interesting. So we were sent a long list of 200 different players and we then had to select 40 and we had to number our, our one to 40 choices. Um, it was really, really difficult. Um, and that's part of the reason why some players who I would have liked to see there, for example, Emily Van Egmond, uh, wasn't there because that long list was chosen in a different sort of process by a couple of people who organised the whole voting thing. Um, And so we could only vote on the players that that were given to us. 
Um, so, yeah, so uh, after we sort of jotted down our 1 to 40 players, um, which, of course, I consulted the Far Post pod group chat on for over a number of days uh, during my, my sort of um, organising period, it's then sent off to uh, Richard Laverty, who is responsible for uh, compiling all the data, and he does waves a magic wand and compiles it all into the stats that you see, uh, into the order that you see on the on the website. So, yeah, it was it was a really interesting process. It was really good to see a pretty a, a pretty solid mix of players across various leagues as well. Um, I would have liked to see some more representation from Asian leagues, I think. Uh, there was really only a handful there um, and that's perhaps a reflection more broadly of the sort of the, the accessibility issue that we often talk about when it comes to voting um, voting polls like this. You know, there was a, a similar discussion that was had um, with the, the FIFA Pro World Eleven that was announced this week as well, where Megan Rapino was named as part of that World Eleven, and she, you know, as she does, she accepted it very gracefully, but she also pointed out that she hadn't played very much, um, and that this points to a wider issue that um, a lot of people are having, which is actually being able to access and watch games. So those sorts of wider factors definitely contribute um, to these kinds of uh, votes and these kinds of tallies. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I was, I was very, very lucky and very grateful to be part of this one and to be part of the, uh, the FIFA Best Awards as well. Um, that was a whole different kind of process, which I can go into uh, if people are interested as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, I, I think that outside of, you know, th- these, these polls tend to attract some, uh, pretty robust discussion, I think, but from, for my part, I think the top 10 is pretty solid. Like I, I can't really see anyone uh, dropping out of that top 10 or anybody perhaps being included in that top 10 that isn't already. Um, so I think based on that, and I think based on the list of people who contributed to the vote. I would say that the Guardians top 100 is probably the most thorough um, and the most thoughtful uh, top 100 list of the year so far. I found something that was really interesting is, uh, I guess this is a coronavirus factor as well, is how quickly the American-based players have dropped down just by, and it's that visibility thing you mentioned, Sam. Like I think one criticism that there has always been, I guess, of the Guardian one in particular is because of obviously it's the Guardian, there's the European um slant to it and I think that's been exact like that's escalated or been exaggerated accentuated whatever more than ever this year because of that's been the accessible football um like I remember someone saying to me like a you know an Abby Ersegg nowhere to be seen um we've seen players like I guess Christy Mewis if it was a different year probably would have finished higher um because of I guess the visibility Rose Lavelle barely played um so it's quite interesting in terms of seeing from an outsider's perspective how much players rose and slid um, I thought that was quite fascinating to see. And as you say, Sam, like there's not much visibility of Asia. The total lack of Emily Van Egmond in the shortlist is quite extraordinary um, and I think probably highlighted, and everyone has their blind spots, obviously, but I think that probably highlighted some of them. But otherwise, you have to agree, it's it, it's as far as comprehensiveness goes, and I know when you, Sam, were trying to put together your top 40, you made a real point of looking at the different leagues and um, going uh, okay, so in China, okay, so in, uh, you know, we know who's been strong in the W League, we know who's been strong in the various 
NWSL Challenge Cup slash Fall Series. Um, so it's really interesting when you see these put together. But as far as the top 10 goes, there's a, there's not too much room for movement. But I just found it so interesting in terms of how much Europe has really come to the fore this year. And I actually thought it was a really impressive effort for you guys to put it together given the, one, lack of most international football and two, lack of a lot of other club football, including the NWSL, really, which up to about last year was still one of the strongest leagues in the world. I really like with the the Guardian one as well. There's a little blurb on every single Mm. player in that 100, and it's staggered, so you're not getting completely (laughs) overwhelmed with information. Um, But And to be honest, like as we were saying, Anna was saying just then, Sam, you had your own little things that you were looking at and that you were tweaking your list based around and every single person will have those adjustments or those things. They might be like, oh, this player was injured a bit more so they go for a bit more of the year so they drop down a little bit or they might have something completely different like they might value impact more over stats or whatever it might be. If anything, yeah, the discussion we just had in picking the FAWSL is just like one tiny bit of exposure to that and it's cooked my brain um but I guess as well you could maybe that one day there will be a formula where you can quantify what a footballer does and how good they are but at the same time I don't think that that would be very fun and it's that personal bias you don't want to go too much in the other direction and make it too sanitized and too clinical um because Football is a beautiful game and it's got a lot of things that you can't just distill into stats. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You don't want to make it scientific. You know, you don't want to make it uh, the result of an algorithm, I don't think, Mm. because you can't capture what makes these players special in stats. You know, as we were saying earlier, when it comes to Sam Kerr's stats, for example, she hasn't sort of blown things apart but that's not why she has been good for Chelsea. She's been good for Chelsea in other kinds of ways. And I don't know how advanced technology is going to get in in order to sort of capture that sort of stuff. Um, but I hope it doesn't because this is part of the culture. This is part of the, the culture and the community of the game. And it's important to have discussions. It's important to have debates. It's important to be constantly reassessing what makes a player good uh, and, and how we judge that and whether we should judge that. You know, um, for my part, one of my um, one of my sort of personal rules when choosing my top forty was that they had to have played in twenty twenty. These are this is you know this list is the best footballers of twenty twenty. If they haven't played, then I didn't vote for them. So Rose Lavelle was not on my list because she barely played. Um, you know, Julie Ertz is in the top ten, but uh, that sort of baffles me because again, she barely played in twenty twenty. Um, so that sort of, it says to me again, that uh, lots of different voters had lots of different rules. Um, maybe they didn't care about whether or not they played in 2020. Maybe they were just voting on the player who they thought was the best. Uh, and that's fine. You know, everyone has their own, their own set of, uh, parameters for these kinds of things. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's awesome. I think it's great that the Guardian are doing it. I think it's great that more publications are coming to the table in terms of this sort of stuff and taking it seriously um, and putting it out into the world in order for us, you know, people with podcasts to talk about it. Maybe there needs to be like a you love to see it rankings and the how good rankings (laughs) because 
you know, <laughs> obviously there's footballers out there who are having massive, like, huge cultural impact. Um, I think that was one of the, not not criticisms, but when Megan Rapinoe got, like, um, the player, was it player of the tournament at the Women's World Cup last year, maybe you could, you know, go down into the nitty-gritty and talk about, like, there were better players on the pitch or whatever. But it was... I think friend of the pod Tom said that it was Megan Rapinoe's World Cup and everyone will associate that with her, that World Cup with her when we think about it. So I don't know, maybe, yeah, having the the um, cultural impact and then having the footballing impact, maybe we can do that. I don't know. Just just an idea because it's definitely a thing and it's some of those areas bleed over a little bit sometimes I think when we look at these these rankings, which isn't a bad thing necessarily. Yeah, at the end of the day, like, that is one of the reasons, apart from recognising these footballers, that is one of the reasons why these lists exist, to create the debate, the discussion, to get more people engaged and talking about more women's footballers. Um, just realised before we didn't actually say who the, uh, like, the winner was. <laughs> the, Guardian, <laughs> the Guardian winner was Peniel Harder, second was Viviane Miedema, and third was Lucy Bronze. And I mentioned Wendy Renard came fourth. I think you'd struggle to have too many people disagree with those as the top four. I think it's all about what order you'd put them in in terms of their contributions for club and country. Um, these are all players that actually played and contributed significantly. Um, I, I think it's. I think it was a pretty uh, close to the mark list and harder. I don't know what you guys thought, but Peniel Harder's year especially before coming to Chelsea and in her European qualifiers since has, yeah, really just been sensational. And just at, while we're at it, the the FIFA Best Award was won by Lucy Bronze with the top three of Bronze, Harder and Renard. So it's pretty clear that there's this top four that we're looking at, which is Peniel Harder, Lucy Bronze, um, Vivian Medema and Wendy Renard would Anyone disagree that that's not the sort of top four in terms of the whole package right now? I feel like a bit of a dickhead, though, saying that I have the sulks with Lucy Bronze because she's won all these awards, but I sort of want to back myself in as well because I've just – that pass that led to the Tobin Heath goal earlier this FAWSL season, it's – it lives rent-free in my mind and not in a good way, (laughs) you know? It's a bit of past glories, isn't it? Like it's the – She's sensational for Leon. She's clearly England's best player. I think there's still a bit of residual from 2019, whereas I think Peniel Harder in particular is like a boss of 2020. And I think that was why we were so frustrated, for example, when further down those lists you don't see an Emily Van Egmon come up because, as Sam said, you want to see the players rewarded that performed in 2020. And there's players on all these lists where you go, I don't know if there's a bit of reputation coming in, like if I look at the midfielders and you go, how's Akira Walsh gone compared to an Emily Van Egmond or, you know, just to pick one random one out there. So, yeah, I think you might be right there, Angela, with bronze. There's a little bit of, yeah, best player in the world doesn't usually (laughs) put those passes away, but I guess we all make mistakes. And, again, like if you look at her resume from this year, it's pretty good so you can't really fault it but if we're looking at her performance so far in the FAWSL maybe that's like a slightly different question okay I feel better no one tweet at me though 
I'm very <laughs> sensitive and, and delicate. You know, it's an important it's an important point to make, Angela, because you're right. Again, it comes back to this idea of visibility and accessibility of games. Um, Lucy Bronze, you know, we are all able to critique Lucy Bronze because we have been watching her week in, week out. But the people who voted for the FIFA Best Awards, a lot of them don't watch women's football that much, you know. Some of them, like these are people chosen from every nation playing football within FIFA. They all have a vote and a lot of these people probably don't have access to the kind of subscription service that shows the FAWSL. Um, Maybe some of them didn't watch the Women's World Cup. Maybe some of them didn't care. But they are the people who've been chosen to vote and so they have to vote and oftentimes the player who gets the vote is the player that they've heard of. Um, And so that's why you see a Lucy Bronze there. That's why you see a Megan Rapinoe there. That's why you see, you know, X, Y and Z. So, yeah. Martha was the ultimate for that, Sam. Sorry? Marta was the ultimate for that. Right, Marta. Carly Lloyd, you know. Oh, yes. Yeah, exactly right. And that's and but that's all stuff that you have to balance, um, you know, when you do these kinds of things. And it's the stuff that you could talk about in the aftermath, you know, as we're doing right now. But are we happy with Penel Harder as number one in The Guardian? I'm certainly am. Yes, no, absolutely. Because yeah. <laughs> when you look at, like, again, when you look across club and country, across every single competition that she was part of, she was undoubtedly the best player in all the teams that she played in. When she reached the Women's Champions League final with Wolfsburg, when she went through the qualifiers for Denmark, and then when she has come to Chelsea. Across all of that, she has been outstanding. So, yeah, I have absolutely no problem with her being first choice. She was my first choice. Yeah, she'd have been mine as well, Sam. Just You look at how Wolfsburg, I think, have gone without her now. They're still a powerhouse, but they lack that spark, that something different. And I know Chelsea have a wealth of riches, but when Harder turns it on, you're just like, geez, like, what a special player. Good stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's interesting as well. You mentioned it kind of earlier about the, the visibility and the accessibility and the, you know, alleged Euro bias and stuff. It was interesting, I suppose, then putting our Aussie hats on with that frame of mind. We had three Aussies on the list this time around. So Sam Kerr in seventh, Caitlin Ford in 51st and Ellie Carpenter in 76th. That's one of the lowest number of Aussies in uh, this list's existence. You know, when you compare it to 2017 where we had eight Aussies throughout the top 100 and I suppose it plays into the whole wider thing of, you know, it's not a surprise that 2017 saw a butt-ton of Matildas in the top 100 because that was the year the Matildas were doing things everywhere, whereas this year, obviously, Corona, there's been the moves overseas, people haven't been playing, so there hasn't been that chance for the Aussies to prove themselves. So it will be interesting next year with full seasons, with Champions Leagues, with multiple competitions, with the the focus of Europe if all of a sudden all these Aussies start coming back onto the list or if we're all just actually rubbish and we should stop playing football. Um, but, yeah, so that was the the top hundo. We alluded to the, the FIFA Best Award as well. So I think that's enough for, for Europe chat. Let's start talking about the dub. We're very close to the start of the season, although there might be some changes which have literally kind of been unfolding as we've been recording. Harrow, you've been keeping an eye on it. What's the latest as of 
the 21st of December when we are recording. Well, for especially our international listeners, I think we have a, a handful. Um, unfortunately, the coronavirus situation in Sydney and the Sydney region has been escalating, which has seen the borders close. So again, if you're not from Australia, get your map out, have a look. Um, we've got different states and territories and basically at this point, all of them have shut the borders to Sydney. So if you come uh, from Sydney or certain regions to states like Victoria where Melbourne is or Queensland where Brisbane is, you have to isolate or in some cases hotel quarantine for 14 days, um, which shows how like quickly all these states and territories have responded and the seriousness. Obviously, when you've got a national competition like the W League, not ideal. When you've got your opening games happening on the 27th in Sydney, not ideal. So you've got Western Sydney Wanderers and Sydney FC. Effectively, uh, no one can travel to play them and they can't really travel to play anyone. But So Newcastle are also in New South Wales. But because those teams are in Sydney, teams can't travel. So uh, basically the leagues have said that any games in the A-League, the Men's League and the W-League are going to be postponed if they're affected by border closures. Um, We're recording on a Monday. We understand on Tuesday they're going to uh, announce these reshuffled fixtures. Uh, Obviously the opening game, which was due to be Western Sydney Wanderers v Melbourne Victory, that's not happening because Melbourne Victory women wouldn't travel to Sydney as if they returned to Melbourne, they would have to quarantine. Um, So what looks most likely is that game is going to be, the Wanderers will still play, but they'll potentially have another opponent. Um, I've seen reports of it being Sydney FC. We'll obviously have more on that to come. But, yeah, this is a shifting situation all the time. There's going to be some games rescheduled. There's going to be, um, I guess, a lot of changes to the fixture. There's a, a lot of moving pieces. And I think as we go throughout the season and hopefully as Sydney's situation, they get a hold on it and are able to clamp down and, reduce these cases we can start getting back to some normality but I think there's no consistency in the dub for the first few weeks at least. Yeah so obviously as that unfolds we I don't know we'll try and keep you up to date but it's hard to do that in a podcast format so we'll keep you across what's happening on social medias. We did have more signings. Um, Newcastle shockingly have a squad all of a sudden. They literally announced 18 players in about 24 hours. Sam, I know you had some thoughts on the sudden emergence of a Jets squad. I do have some thoughts on this sudden emergence. Um, Not a huge fan, I have to say, of the entire squad being announced on a Friday afternoon slash evening when the vast majority of people are not looking at their phones but rather are out trying to have a good time in their lives. But it's great to see that Newcastle have a squad. It's great to see that they have obviously put some thought into this squad. Um, it's I'm, I'm really enjoying uh, the fact that Ash Wilson has dipped into the New South Wales MPL uh, and the Newcastle MPL, Northern New South Wales MPL, um, to a greater extent than in seasons past, despite the fact that last season Newcastle didn't have a single international. Um, this this squad this season seems more local. It has more of a local flavour to it, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, I'm really enjoying uh, the recruitment of Sophie Harding in particular. I've written about her in some of my previews. She uh, is a really exciting, really fast young forward from uh, the Northwest Sydney Koalas in the New South Wales MPL. 
Uh, she's joined by Chloe O'Brien, who comes from Manly, alongside Sonny Franco and Alicia Bass. Uh, Rihanna Policina comes from Arpia. This is her first time uh, in the W League, which will be super exciting. But again, they are complemented by a, a sort of a core squad of players that have been around in and around Newcastle for a number of seasons now. So I'm actually thinking that uh, the situation that Newcastle found themselves in last season where the club basically couldn't afford to bring any internationals in may actually stand them in pretty good stead this season because they're, they've got a pretty similar squad. They've got some consistency. They've got the chemistry that comes with playing together for a long time. Um, and given that a lot of the other W League squads are having to do something similar, Newcastle are sort of ahead of the curve in that sense. So it'll be really interesting to see how they go. Sam, the other name that jumped out at me when looking at that squad list was Sonny Franco, who is someone that was a young Matilda and around for ages at Brisbane Raw, had a stint at Sydney, went back to Raw, I think even had a little stint at the Wanderers and then has been off the radar for a couple of years. And then I checked, um, just looked her up and she's still only 23, doesn't turn 24 until June next year. So we've talked so much about these players that come through at a young age and then just drop off the radar. Um, uh, I don't know if it's because they don't make it to a certain level or they fall out of love with the game or I don't know Sonny's particular situation, I'll admit, but it's great to see these players come back, at, especially at 23. Like You're not even close to your peak at that age. So I'll be very interested to see how she goes just because it's a name that's been around for so long and I'm always interested to see what happens when players take time away from the game. We've talked about this before and come back. So that was a, a name that really intrigued me when I saw that Newcastle list. Harrow, you mentioned you had a couple of thoughts on City's new signings. There was two during the, the week. What tickled your fancy about these two signings in particular? Yeah, busy day of announcements for Melbourne City. Um, first up, they announced that uh, Japanese international uh, Chinatsu Kira had signed on. Um, she's got 12 caps for Japan, five goals. By the looks of things, they all came in 2014, won the Asian Cup, and then has apparently just dropped off the national team radar since but um, has a really long career in Japan with uh, Uruwa Reds um, and I think they're really excited because she's a creative player, she's an attacker, can score goals, can create um, which is obviously what say Emily Van Egbond did a lot for them last season. Um, so that's a really exciting signing. She's in um, hotel quarantine at the moment so I think she gets out next week so hopefully she can settle into the league relatively quickly. And they back that up by announcing that Emma Checker would be returning to Melbourne City. Um, it's great to see she's back in the W League after obviously her time in France got cut short by that um, fibula stress fracture. Obviously, Melbourne City, she played every game there last year in last season, sorry, in that back three, um, which is going to look a bit new look this year. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's a back three again. She'll link up with Jenna McCormick, who's obviously joined, and probably Sam Johnson. I think the most likely thing is Rado Vitasic will look to have that sort of back three again. But if not, it'll be quite interesting um, because I think at some point we're going to have to get an idea of how McCormick and Checker would go more often. We saw a little glimpse of that with the Matildas. Um, they're both relatively inexperienced at senior level, so... I think it's really important for those players to be really senior defenders and to link up more often because we need more centre-back depth and we want our centre-back depth to be getting better and better. So, yeah, I thought there was a couple of uh, really interesting signings for City. I think that's a, an interesting point, Anna, especially if because my thought immediately was that they'll go with the back three because they've got three 
centre-backs, three decent centre-backs in their, their squad. But if, um, say, for example, they put Sam Johnson in and then Checker and McCormick have to compete to be the other centre-back for a particular game, is that a good thing in a short season like the W League where limit like minutes are really, I guess, more precious? Um, or is that not necessarily a good thing because minutes are more precious. I don't know, because then you've got that competition and they're pushing themselves a little bit more. Not too sure. But, yeah, that was where my mind went thinking about that combination. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. And I suppose in terms of other signings, we had Rebecca Horsey sign for Brisbane Raw. We had Mallory Webber and Mallory Mullen sign for Adelaide United. So their squads are looking a bit more complete. And then we had a whole bunch of Wanderers signings. And again, Sam is our resident New South Wales expert. You have some thoughts on the players that have just been announced. Really exciting young players mostly uh, at the Wanderers. We've got uh, four Really exciting uh, young signings for Western Sydney. We've got four uh, young players who recently played for the Football New South Wales Institute uh, in the MPLW. We've got Aideen Keane, Sarah Hunter, Isabel Gomez and Briley Henry. All of them are on national team youth radars in some respects. Um, I got to know Briley a little bit as she was playing for the Junior Matildas. Aideen Keane has come along in leaps and bounds over the last two or three seasons um, and was the Institute's top scorer this season. And Isabel Gomez is a really feisty, really interesting, hardworking midfielder. So that's going to be really fun to watch um, how sort of all of those, those, girls, those girls are involved in this team this season. But complementing them is Julianne Russell, who is uh, an Irish international footballer. She's been playing for Sydney University for the past couple of seasons because she works in Sydney. Uh, she works for Microsoft, I believe. So, And she has been excellent for uni for quite a while. She's... Uh, being coached by the great Vera Powell. You know, she's friends with a whole bunch of players that we've been talking about who are playing in the FAWSL. So it's really cool to see her get her first opportunity at the W League because she's been so consistent and uh, such a great, really exciting, really dynamic uh, winger and goal scorer for uni for a number of seasons. So, yeah, Western Sydney are finally looking like something, which is more than we can say for them last week. Yeah, so it's going to be really cool to see all of these teams and actually see them on the pitch and we hope that we do see them on the pitch and the Roni doesn't stuff things up any further but uh let's let's move into some boots it's boot time uh Harrow would you like to boot something first up I would um Steph Catley's barely got on the pitch for Arsenal since joining them we know she's had calf injuries um that just got exacerbated and re-injured and just had an absolute shocking run. So it was so nice to see her on the pitch. And then the squad came out for the Everton game and there was no Steph Catley, which immediately sent us all into fears of, oh, no, what's next? And unfortunately, Joe Montemiro confirmed post-match that Steph has picked up a hamstring injury. Um, not sure how serious it is as yet. Hopefully not too serious. Um but, yeah, it's just such a shame. She was doing so well at Melbourne City and for the Matildas um, before she went away to Europe. We know just what sort of quality player she is. She's, um, in my opinion, I think probably this pod's opinion, one of the best left-backs in the world. She's classy. She's a leader. She's the Matildas' vice-captain. And, unfortunately, we thought Arsenal was going to be this fantastic move for her, but she just can barely get on the park. So another injury to Steph Catley. Given that the boot. Pinging the string gets the boot. Angela, a boot from you? 
Yeah, another injury-based boot. Um, just some news that, like, you see it and you're like, ah, fuck. Chelsea Blissett did her ACL and, like, that's news you never want to hear for any player, but um, it feels like the timing couldn't be more off for her. So she was re-signed for Melbourne City. She's um, one of the younger players who's been around the traps there for quite a while and this really looked like the season that she was poised to, I guess, become a core player within that group and build on that experience that she already had at the club as, um, yeah, one of the players that they really nurtured over the years. So, yeah, just really awful to see that and wishing her all the best in the the long recovery that comes with um, ACL injuries. Lots of unfortunate injury boots this week. Uh, Sam, a boot from you? <sighs> okay. <laughs> As the Sydney-based far post person, I feel I have a duty to give a massive boot to the rich, privileged, white fucking couple on the northern beaches who have possibly ruined not just Christmas, but maybe even the W League. The outbreak that has happened in the north of Sydney is really, really scary. Um, New South Wales, I think, are pretty well positioned in terms of contact tracing. I think we have perhaps the best contact tracing system in the country. And we've seen in the past 24 hours that there's been a record number of people getting COVID tests Um, And the number from yesterday to today has gone down in terms of positive cases. But it's just one of those sort of situations of complacency that is, it just blows my mind, you know. And I remember there being a similar situation down in Melbourne where there was a couple who returned from a ski trip and they uh, were positive and they didn't self-isolate. They just sort of decided to trounce through Melbourne and have a great time and whatever without actually taking the health or welfare of the entire nation into account. And there's been a basically a parallel um, situation here and it's, you know, it's just fucking like it's just it's exhausting having to think about it it's it's really really difficult not just for fans but also for players having to deal with the sort of last minute changes that this situation is forcing them into I interviewed Remy Seamson earlier this morning and she said that her and Ali Green from Sydney FC had to very rapidly put together a bag and get out of the northern beaches where the two of them live in Manly in, and then they're now staying in a hotel for a couple of days at, at the request of Sydney FC because otherwise they may not be able to get out of the northern beaches to play football. So this has just thrown so much into disarray. It's so fucking frustrating because New South Wales and Sydney in particular were doing so, so well when it came to keeping the virus under control and these fucking pricks have ruined it. So, yeah, that that gets my boot. I'm really stressed about it. I'm stressed for everybody involved in sport. I'm stressed for everybody in Sydney. You know, so many people were looking forward to Christmas. We thought we'd just had this under control by Christmas, that Christmas could be a a moment of celebration. We could all go to our families and our friends and celebrate with people that we love. But these fucking assholes have possibly ruined it. So, yeah, fuck them. Ah! They get the boot. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. A big sweary boot. There's no, no complaints from us. But I think we need to 
switch to some more positive chat. Let's switch to some how goods. Harrow, a how good? Yeah, we've got a great how good. She better be tuning in this how good. Friend of the pod, Alex Gummer, who uh, joined us from Switzerland a few weeks ago. She is back in Melbourne. Um, she is in hotel quarantine. Um, she had to get through so many um, cancelled flights and setbacks to, to get home to Melbourne. Um, but she is in Melbourne in hotel quarantine and uh, Alex has been taking all sorts of suggestions for what to do during her time in quarantine. But I think this one tops it. I'll, uh, I'll quote Alex herself on um, Twitter and Instagram here. She said, this one time I ran a marathon in my hotel room during hotel quarantine. This now tops the list of stupid things I've done and that I'll never do again. And, like, honestly, 42 kilometres in your hotel room in quarantine. I mean, I don't understand how your brain doesn't break doing it, how your legs don't break doing it, Alex. But you know what? Good on you. You did it. How good? Uh, Sensational and bizarre how good, but honestly, very good from Alex. Angela, how good from you? In a similar vein to um, Harrow's You Love to See It with Lisa Evans dropping the ball, um, you may have seen the video of Hayley Rasso just getting absolutely clonked (laughs) (laughs) by an Izzy Christensen goal at training and Oh my god! I was rewatching it just before we started recording the pod, and tears in my eyes. It's just, it's just beautiful. Like Haley Rasso is just standing to the side of the goal. The ball comes out of nowhere, sort of hits her in the chest, and she sort of just crump, like crumples very comically. But the best thing is, no one, no one paid her any mind. They just kept training. <laughs> I just ignored her. So, yeah, very, very funny and has cheered me up um, immensely amongst the the anxiety around Dub and all of that stuff this week. So, yes, how good to, I guess, Hayley Rasso um, getting what's – I don't even know what you would call that particular manoeuvre, but just a how good to that. We'll repost it so you, you all can enjoy it as well. It's very funny, but you feel very bad laughing about it. But it's really, really funny. <laughs> uh, Sam, how good from you? My how good this week, uh, reminiscent of a how good we had a couple of episodes ago with uh, new Wanderers recruit Margot Chavot, I believe is how you pronounce her last name, um, getting a photo of herself, getting a, a football, I think, signed by Lena Kamis and then being announced as Lena Kamis's teammate. We have a very similar situation here with Dylan Holmes. Uh, Dylan Holmes plays for Adelaide United. There was a fantastic photo posted uh, by the Adelaide United social media team who shout out to them because they've been awesome. Um, Dylan Holmes rocking up to an Adelaide United fan day in 2007 uh, and it was posted on the same day that she was announced as Adelaide's new W League captain. So uh, how good for, for Dylan, how good for the club and just a how good for football in general because that's that's one of those moments that you're like, you know what, representation really matters and this is the this is the outcome of that sort of stuff, you know. So, yeah, how good. How good. 
It was so, so good. And uh, a final how good from me. Tegan Micah was named in the top Syrian team of the season, which is an awesome achievement, but it's even more awesome when you think about the fact that she only played two-thirds of the season and then had to come back and miss a whole third of the season because of a hand injury. So she was obviously killing it that much that even though she missed, I think it was like six games, she was still the absolute top of the pops in terms of the Norwegian top Syrian and Melbourne City are very lucky to have her services for this upcoming W League season. So Tegan Micah, how good. But that is enough from us for this evening. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, please do subscribe wherever you listen to us, leave your reviews. You can chat to us at the Far Post Pod on all social medias. Um, But, yeah, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week. So, bye.